What do you picture when you hear R&D? Is it scientists in lab coats pouring chemicals back and forth between beakers? Is it automated claws delicately assembling the latest, smallest, most powerful microchip to come out this month? It might very well be these mental associations that make many companies hesitant to apply for R&D tax credits. That's why on today's episode of The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit, we're going to be talking about industries you might not think qualify for these credits and the abundant ways they, in fact, do. To lead this discussion on the surprising industries that qualify for R&D tax credits, I'm going to hand things off to Director of R&D Tax Incentives at Cross-Border Solutions, Rahim Walji. Take it away, Rahim. Thank you, Matthew. Really appreciate it and really excited to talk about some of these industries that many folks in our audience may not consider as eligible for R&D and talk about how they can qualify. But first, before we do that, would love to welcome Lydia Clowney to our podcast. Lydia is a subject matter expert in R&D, working with our software development team. So she's the one that advises our software developers on how the actual platform needs to operate and all the R&D calculations and myriad variables that go into that. So welcome, Lydia. Very, very happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Raheem. I am so excited to be here. Definitely one of my favorite things to do is geek out about R&D tax credits. Absolutely. And this is going to be an episode where we get into some interesting industries. So hopefully... You don't have any parents or family members in the audience that may uh, think think differently after we talk about some of the subjects that we've got. So first one that I'm going to jump into is cannabis, right? That is a, a huge, huge booming industry, continues to gain momentum at the state level in continuing to grow for medicinal purposes, recreational purposes. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. So what are some ways in which the cannabis industry is qualifying for R&D and what might other companies take away from what they're doing? Let's start there. Cannabis companies are, are a model of how startups can use tax credits to, to fuel their growth uh, by intentionally investing in R&D activities. So for these companies, some potentially qualifying activities could be developing new strains of, of cannabis through crossbreeding or other genetic techniques or process-related activities like uh, enhancing the efficiency of the growing and harvesting process. Certainly many, many, many more things that these companies are doing can qualify as well. Now, one big caution that they have is, is a need to be careful with regard to an internal revenue code section called 280E. And this is the tax code section that applies to anyone dealing with a, a, what's called a Schedule One substance. And it disallows credits or deductions that aren't cost of goods sold or, or what we call COGS. So one solution that some firms have found is to create a separate R&D firm that's actually a third-party entity as a workaround to some of those rules. You're right, Lydia. One of the things in terms of separating the R&D firm, right? Part of the question that I asked was, what are other companies learning? You know, I think we're starting to see, at least with, you know, my legal background and how companies are created and things like that, you're starting to see a lot of companies separate intellectual property ownership and how those things are structured for not only legal purposes, but for business purposes and, and things like that. So it's interesting to see how cannabis companies are creating a separate entity to work around some of the 280E limitations. So it's really, really fascinating. So when you look at all of this together, you see that, you know, not only has the cannabis industry had hurdles in terms of getting legalization, right, from a recreational and medicinal standpoint, but 
they have these hurdles when it comes to claiming R&D tax credits, yet they jump through them and they still do. You know, it makes me wonder how many other companies out there have products that are, you know, schedule one type substances and then subject to 280E and then still going through these hurdles, right, to, to claim these benefits. But the reason I bring this up is one of the things that you know, we talk about a lot on this podcast is, or we ask ourselves a lot on this is, why don't more companies take advantage of the R&D credit? So it feels like it's worth digging a little bit deeper into the challenges that the cannabis industry faces, because if they can work through it, then you know hopefully other companies will see that there are less challenges for them and hopefully you know be inclined and inspired to to apply more. So let's pause on a couple of things that you said. You know, you mentioned schedule one, you mentioned 280E. You know, I think maybe some folks have a high level understanding of both, but I think it'd be really valuable if you could tell us a little bit more about each of these these topics. Sure. Yeah. Well, we can start out with talking a little bit more about what schedule one is or, or does, because it's not a tax concept. Schedule One is actually a classification of substances. It's designated by the the Drug Enforcement Agency, the the DEA. And it's meant to classify substances that have no currently accepted medical use and a high risk of abuse. And the idea is because of those things, they have to be extremely carefully controlled, uh, highly regulated substances. And so they're super highly restricted in terms of access, uh, administering, and and absolutely selling or purchasing the substance. So one of them is marijuana. We're also talking about drugs like heroin, mescaline, LSD, MDMA. So, you know, we said these are supposed to be drugs that have no currently accepted medical use and a high risk of abuse. So there's absolutely push back to that classification when we apply it to marijuana now more than ever. I mean, if you think there are something like what, I want to say something like almost 35 states now that have legalized marijuana, either from the medical standpoint or fully legalized for recreational purposes, even. It's more and more ubiquitous across the country. It's you know, really considered to be a relatively mild recreational drug, more akin to alcohol, maybe, than something like heroin. So to classify them identically does seem like a little bit much to, to some people. And I think we'll see more and more of this. I know LSD and MDMA have been in the news a lot lately for having potential psychiatric benefits or, or therapeutic uses. So as more and more people see the scientific view of these substances changing and more and more revenue potential, particularly in cannabis, the push to loosen the restrictions on, on marijuana is absolutely growing. Unfortunately, in the meantime, 280E does apply. And, and 280E basically says that you can't take deductions or credits if your business consists of trafficking a controlled substance, a Schedule One or Schedule Two substance. So an exception was added at one point for costs of goods sold, COGS, which we discussed very briefly before. But that has more to do with things like inventory costs, shipping or freight. So typically expenses that, that wouldn't be included in the R&D tax credit. And it does need to be said, the IRS applies 280E very strictly to cannabis companies. The IRS does have uh, latitude, and they've opted to be fairly stringent on these companies and on these uh, particular restrictions. So they are targeted more closely than, than some other companies might be. 
There were some changes made uh, at one point. Code Section 263A regarding the uniform capitalization rules did somewhat expand what could count for deductions under COGS, but those rules were introduced after 280E went into effect. And the result is that cannabis companies are, are basically ineligible to take advantage of the changes. Thank you very much for that overview. I think it's really helpful to understand Number one, what Schedule One is? I think a lot of people, you know, have have heard the term before. And two eighty e, you know, it's it's a uniquely applied section, and and specifically with respect to cannabis companies, you know, you would think with the opioid epidemic that's going on, you know, there would be some some different applications of the two eighty e rules, but. You know, it does seem that there's a very large focus on the cannabis side. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. You'd mentioned some workarounds earlier. Let's get to some of those that companies or, or others are proposing. How are cannabis companies managing to qualify for R&D despite these 280E restrictions, right? We talked about an idea earlier, but can you can you elaborate on that? Certainly. The legal workarounds are, are kind of the, the bread and butter for, for a lot of tax accountants. Obviously, you can take that to an extreme. Some companies don't seem like they're paying their, their fair share, but, but in general, this is the game that every taxpayer is going to play. How can I legally lower my tax liability within the rules? So we see how good the accountants that are working for some of these cannabis companies are at the tax game, because even though they, they do have these really heavy restrictions, they've still come up with some pretty creative workarounds. One of these workarounds is actually dividing their companies into two separate legal entities, two separate businesses that perform different functions for the business. So your first company would be responsible for all of the actual handling of the Schedule One substance. So they would maybe produce and and process and uh, potentially distribute the marijuana. They'd be subject to all those 280E restrictions. And they wouldn't be able to take the same kinds of deductions as a normal company would. So they file their return without those deductions and were totally in compliance there. But then on the other hand, we have a second entity that we can set up. And the second company does all the other stuff. So more of the general and administrative items, everything necessary for the business outside of actually handling that controlled substance. So whether that's customer care, managing the buildings, even you know selling t-shirts, everything else the company is doing could be run through that second company. That's the company that can file the return with the deductions. So this has been uh, tested in court. This came up with a 2007 court case, Californians Helping to Alleviate Medical Problems. Yes, that acronym is CHAMPS. 
v. Commissioner. The court found that 280E didn't prohibit the company from deducting cost of goods sold or, or adjusting gross receipts for cost of goods sold. Prior to that, the IRS was arguing basically that you can't even deduct COGS if you're dealing with a Schedule One substance. But the Champs case successfully used the, the two business strategy as a workaround to, to deduct their COGS. I will say the accounting is extremely important in, in a case like this, the actual bookkeeping, because the IRS would take a pretty dim view of uh, the separation of the two companies if they aren't kept very separate from that bookkeeping point of view. So that record keeping becomes increasingly crucial where we're trying a, a strategy such as this. But there have been cases where the two business strategy really did allow these cannabis companies to take deductions that they hadn't been able to under the previous organizational scheme. So like deducting employee wages that would have been restricted under 280E. So what happened here is these employees were essentially paid out of both of the two entities. They'd get a minimum wage from the company that's handling the controlled substance. And then they'd be paid additional wages, higher wages, from the second company that is more hands-off on the substance. So there's more and more legal precedent here for using the strategy. And it does speak to how creative you can get, even in a case where the government is saying you, you absolutely cannot deduct R&D. And when you think about it, without the 280E barriers, the cannabis industry, it's, it's agriculture. It's farming. It's, it's a manufacturing or distribution. It, it should have all the deductions available to companies operating within those processes and activities. Absolutely. Thank you very much for elaborating on that. And I think it's helpful to see, you know, court cases and specifically tax court cases where these strategies are, are getting applied, even going back as far as, as 2007, right? So it's really interesting to see how this has evolved over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, where you're seeing not only like you said the, the regulations promulgated in association with cannabis and medicinal and recreational uses across the country, but also now from a tax perspective, right? And how that's that's really working. And I think it's interesting you talk about, you know, how cannabis is really agricultural and farming at the end of the day. And if you go a step further, right, manufacturing and all these other things as well. But let's build on that, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about R&D opportunities that exist in the agricultural industry? Absolutely. Agricultural sciences, there's a lot going on there. One thing we've seen lately is folks developing ways to, to try to integrate farming into modern urban settings. R&D can absolutely fuel that kind of development. One facet could be building integrated agriculture. Building integrated agriculture would be uh, aiming to transform buildings into urban farms, for instance. So lots of new technologies are required. Billions of dollars have been invested in, in this kind of development. Other things would be, oh, automated machinery. Some farms are using computer modeling or uh, GIS, geographic information systems or, or remote sensing for things like crop rotation or, or seeing where, where blight may be happening or, or maybe even where irrigation needs to be improved. Other kinds of experimentation with maybe with crossbreeding or other kinds of plant genetics, fertilization, pest control is a huge one, or improvements in equipment also, harvesting techniques, waste reduction or, or reuse. Gosh, it's, there's, <laughs> it's, it's almost endless. There's a lot going on in that space. No, it seems like it. And I think sometimes we forget how high tech 
the agriculture industry has become in terms of, of monitoring the quality of the crops, the growing cycles, the soil quality, all these types of things. Now there's so much innovation that's occurred. It's not, you know, just the traditional techniques that were employed, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. No two multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know Wait, wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. So when you connect the two, right, you know, we talk about how, you know, the cannabis industry, part of it is really the agricultural aspect of it. And we, we understand that, you know, but for the two ADE challenges, the cannabis industry would probably have more opportunities to claim R&D, yet, you know, they're still working through different strategies to make sure that they can claim those deductions, which, to be honest, is, is really impressive. It's reminiscent of, you know, when there's a will, there's a way type of scenario, and, and they seem to be really, really pushing that motto and, and taking it to heart so that they can continue to to grow. No pun, no pun intended, but that's why I was excited to start with it. So when you step back from the picture and look at the bigger picture, are there other companies that are getting creative about R&D opportunities or ones where there are opportunities that, that many might not realize? Can you talk to us about some of those? Yes, those that's definitely true. There are a million companies that probably should be benefiting from the R&D credit that aren't. And industries as well. You see more and more articles being written about this or that industry's R&D opportunities. It definitely seems to be in the zeitgeist right now. And And I think it does point to your point that most people don't realize what they really can successfully claim for the R&D credit. I think to a lot of companies, it seems like it's too good to be true. So there is some skepticism about, is the government really just going to give me money for doing the things I'm already doing to improve my business? It seems crazy on its face. So even though the interest is there and it makes a ton of sense, I mean, particularly now, if you think... We've got pandemic, we've got economic turmoil. So a ton of companies are saying, how can I reduce my tax burden? How can I increase my cash flow? You're looking to save every penny you can and recoup expenses. And if you're making investments into R&D for the future of your company, if you can scrape a little bit of that back, you know, to put back into your business or just to keep things running as you're planning for the future, I can't understand why you wouldn't want to do that. Why would you leave the dollars on the table? And the U.S. tax credit for, for research and development efforts is it's one of the most lucrative U.S. tax credits available. So I'm really glad these articles are being written. I don't know. I'm super happy we're focusing on it. More companies should take advantage. And the point isn't 
look at this weird thing. Oh, this industry is calling it R&D, like some novelty thing. No, the point is there are more opportunities than people realize. Okay, so here's another. (laughs) Pet tech, smart devices for pets. Products that are part of the Internet of Things, the network of devices communicating with each other via the Internet, but in this case, specifically products for pets. And this is interesting. I've seen articles about this, about pet tech industries and how there's R&D involved. And, you know, it definitely seems that one of the side effects of the pandemic is there's been a huge interest in technology and products and a lot more people were spending a lot more time with their pets at home, you know, working remotely and It seems like we're sort of referencing science fiction plot, but that's really what's been going on, right? But let's hone in on that. So what exactly counts as pet tech? And then what are some of the R&D opportunities for the industry? Like I kind of mentioned, one of the really obvious places to look is that smart technology for pets. So collars that can monitor the health of your pet or, or track it if they run away or new generations of, of those tracking chips that, that can be implanted. Some of the newer generations are more painless during implantation or not, not cause any health troubles to the pet. So that's some of the obvious stuff because, you know, most people associate R&D with hard sciences, with that uh, new technology, but it's bigger than that. We're also talking about things like healthier food, formulas that are better for the animal, medicine, supplements, better treats. R&D is about problem solving and, and it's about discovery. So virtually anything you set out to discover in the United States, that means anything that's new to you, to your company, your factory, not necessarily new to the world can count as this research and development effort. So if you think about all of the tech needed for for veterinarians and their practices, the products that make those animal hospitals more efficient or smart have a lot of potential. We think about trainers and everything they need to use to, to train animals. Maybe it's devices for measuring progress or anything assisting in the, the training process. Or a pet daycare or a dog walking operation, maybe building an app to help connect with pet parents. So we have food, we have all its subcategories of opportunities, some of which might get into agriculture, pharmaceuticals, devices for consumers, devices for trainers, uh, machines, devices for animal health professionals. So just within that relatively niche industry of pet tech, you can see the opportunities there are abundant. And how many people in the pet industry are thinking, oh, I could be lowering my tax bill here in a million ways. Yeah, probably very few. When you look at all this, it seems like, at any point, we can virtually look at any industry and say there's a ton of already opportunities here that your company's overlooking. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. The number of companies applying for the R&D credit is so small, it's, it's, it's absolutely shocking. The U.S. R&D credit is really generous. There's tons of room for improvement to it. And I think that we'll see some improvement to it soon, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, because so many companies are excited about it, even as they're intimidated to apply. But if you start out with lowering your tax liability, even just a little bit, obviously that's better than nothing. And it's not some tier one issue where you're going to get audited automatically just for having the R&D credit on your return. I know that's another big fear people have with R&D. So yeah, to your point, you can even take sports too. Sports arenas, where sports are played, Uh, they can develop new tech, uh, smart devices to assist with seating or food or enhancing the experience of viewing the game in any number of ways. If we get to athletes themselves, we're talking about sports science and medicine, and and there's tons of opportunities there. So no, I mean, maybe not talking about 
making a, a better basketball per se. Although if, if you did, I think that would absolutely present some R&D opportunities. We're talking about experimentation and discovery, and not just in devices and machines, but, but in processes as well. You know, like the harvesting process we mentioned earlier in regard to agriculture. Those are really, really good examples. I think about, you know, some of the companies we've worked with that do DAS systems or distributed antenna systems in these very, very large stadiums so that, you know, everybody's always on their phone at these games, right? Or trying to take pictures or trying to stream and and do all these things. And so if you don't have that connectivity in the building, and it's very, very difficult to do that with all of the structures that are in place and how it impacts the signals and things like that. So when you get down to the human level, the athletes themselves I definitely agree with you. There's been some really, really, really amazing strides in sports medicine, how the human body processes and, and operates in these very extreme situations or environments with these, these pro athletes. So it seems, you know, we could play a fun game and a company could look at their business and say, where are our R&D opportunities, right? Sort of a, a fun brain exercise, right? In terms of, of how we can do that. Because as you said, it's it's a creative endeavor. It's not just the R&D itself, which is experimental and exciting on its own, but getting creative about where those opportunities are, understanding where the discovery is taking place. I've said this before in prior conversations where it would be great if companies could get out of this sort of negative mindset, you know, where there's like, oh, there's no way we qualify for that, or that doesn't apply to us, and start thinking, how can we find these opportunities, right? Where are these pockets within our business where this is happening, that can really help us lower our tax liability. I think that's one of the, the reasons why working on R&D credits, I've always said it's the, the most fun area of accounting because what we get to do is really look at what are these companies doing? How are they pushing technology forward? How are they making new things happen in the world? And, and that's always super cool to see. And so you know, coming into a new company and, and like you say, trying to find where those opportunities are, it is a fun game. And these companies are doing these activities anyway. It's what makes sense for the business and what makes sense for that business's future. And so to come in and take a look at the basal operations and, and how they can generate a credit like this and feed back into investing back into that company, it's, it feels really good. And, and I think you're right. Like if the cannabis industry is navigating around all these restrictions and they're dealing with 280E and penalties, common deductions that any other business could take, then and they're taking the, the R&D credit, I know there's absolutely lower hanging fruit for a lot of companies to, to take advantage as well, really to get in and, and exploit the opportunities that exist that the government has set up for companies to take advantage of. They're trying to spur economic development in this way. So there's no reason not to take advantage. I couldn't agree more. It's not about you know, always innovating with new, new, new. It can be an improvement. It can be a small efficiency, a small change that really continues the progression of a product or a process or a technique, right? And I know there's a lot of companies that exist out there that, you know, from a federal perspective are not quote unquote trafficking in illegal products, right? As they look at the the cannabis industry, there's so many different companies out there doing so many great things. And for some reason, just have said, you know, we don't qualify. We're not going to look at this. So hopefully this is a conversation that kind of shakes them a little bit and says, oh, maybe I should really adopt this positive perspective, this positive mindset of where can I find these pockets? Where can I find this R&D for my company and, and get this tax liability reduced and invest in back into the company? 
Yeah, and I do think that one of the reasons why some of these companies, particularly in the cannabis space, haven't used, taken advantage or used the credit before is that a number of the public accounting firms that, that typically perform this kind of consultancy won't touch cannabis companies. I mean, it's still federally illegal. Schedule one substance. Banking relationships are extremely tough. You know, a lot of these companies can't have credit lines. Like, so the large accounting firms won't tend to perform work for these companies. And so some of these, some of these companies simply might not know that they're able to take advantage or not be able to find a provider to be able to assist them. And, and that's crucial because like we were saying, there's huge restrictions here. And so you do need to have a, a partner to kind of help you through what could otherwise be a minefield. Great, great point. And, and I think, you know, hopefully that title change, I'm sure at some point, some firms didn't want to represent casinos or didn't want to represent pharmaceutical companies or some of these other things as well. So hopefully we'll see that trend change for uh, for those companies to continue to grow as well as hopefully some of these other industries that, like I said, are not necessarily in that cannabis vein or, or more in the traditional quote unquote industries will hopefully see how they can qualify as well. Lydia, thank you so, so much for a really, really fun conversation and for sharing your expertise and your thoughts and your input today. It was it was very much appreciated and looking forward to, to hopefully having you join us again in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, a fun time. Always love to, to get into the, the nitty gritty here on A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. Welcome back, everyone. We want to thank Lydia for joining us for a very interesting conversation. We'd like to thank everyone at home for joining us. Don't forget to check out the entire suite of Cross-Border Solutions tax podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast was hosted by Matthew DeMello, edited and produced by Andrew O'Donnell. Stephen Markow is our associate producer and writes our scripts. We'll catch everyone next time. 